Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are listening to The Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. just cutting in before the start of my conversation with Damien Power. This is part one of two. We had to make it two parts because the second half includes um, includes spoilers. So you're safe with this podcast. So for 30 minutes, there are no spoilers. Um, another part will be issued very soon, if not already, depending on when you listen to this. And that will include spoilers discussing in more detail the brilliance that is Killing Ground. And now, on to the podcast. Welcome to another Britflix podcast, Frightfest preview series. And today I've got with me Damien Power. Hello, Damien. Hey, Stuart, how are you? I'm doing very well, I'm doing very well. It's always a nice little jump, that, isn't it? The uh, let's, let's meet for the first time, I've been always, already done a preamble before recording. <laughs> I ne- I, That's true. I never get used to it, and I've done a lot of these, but I know I have to do it for the purposes of the audience. Um, so we're here to talk about your movie, Killing Ground, which is showing at Fright Fest this year. So do, do you want to give the audience a um, brief synopsis to what Killing Ground is about? Yeah. Um, Killing Ground's a survival thriller. It's about a... A young couple, um, Sam and Ian, uh, who go camping to a very remote spot. And when they get there, they find a car and a tent, but no sign of the occupants. And, you know, they decide to stay. They've come a long way. But um, they grow increasingly uneasy um, when the the campers fail to show up. And uh, the next day, they find a kid um, wandering in the woods. And that's kind of the beginning of their troubles. Yes, it really is the beginning of their troubles, and I think I think it's safe to say that the finding of the kid is is arguably one of the most harrowing things I've seen in a long time, and yet it's it's very simplistic what you're showing. Yeah, and uh, I mean, for me, that that was um, uh, one of the shots when I conceived of it that um, persuaded me that I had a film. Oh, really? Um, yeah, um, as a way to, you know, it. I mean, the film has a non-linear opening, so mm-hmm. you know we're seeing the the couple, um, we're also seeing the campers um, whose tent it is, um, and we're seeing two guys who that we come to realise um, are responsible for whatever's happened to the campers, mm-hmm. uh, and um, as you say, the discovery of. Um, the kid is this moment in the film, and I guess we're almost getting into spoiler territory now, but... Um, we'll hold back. Uh, ...is the moment in the film where these um, storylines start to come together. Um, and, you know, I wanted to do that in a kind of... in a memorable way, I guess, and um, 
yeah, when I thought of that shot as a way to bring these things together, I thought, well, this is, um, you know, uh, this is a film. Brilliant. But now let's let's just rewind a sec then. So, so as the writer of the screenplay yeah. as well as the director, what, yeah. what, where 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 or what sort of sparked the idea for Killing Ground? Yeah, I mean, the, the well, the very germ of the idea was an image of an orange tent in the bush in the middle of nowhere. Okay. With nobody around. Now, I don't know where that image came from, but it kind of it came to me, it just popped into my head. Uh, um, I couldn't shake it. Um, it was very specifically uh, this orange tent, um, a family-size kind of old-style canvas boxy side, you know, quite close to what we ended up using. Um, and I, it got me thinking, well, where are the people? Like, what happened to the campers? And then I started thinking about, well, what was the worst possible thing that could happen to the campers? Um, and that suggested the antagonists. And then who finds the tent? And that's really the protagonists, um, Sam and Ian. So, you know, from that kernel of a, an image came this, um, you know, very uh, rough idea of uh, characters and the suggestion of a story, um, but I guess also... Uh, an idea about um, what, a genre as well, like what kind of a story um, was this going to be? Mm. Uh, and then from there, it was about me then sort of fleshing out that idea and, I guess, you know, bringing some of my own my own fears to the table. Yeah, because, I mean, it is, it, as, as, a, as a venue for where horror is going to take place, it's, it's the perfect idyll, isn't it? It's, it's remote... It's the, yes. the, the glass water by the falls and the white sand by the, by, I'm presuming yeah. fresh water and stuff. And yet you've got this mysterious empty tent <laughs> that, that, yes. that begs all the questions that you would. And, and, and I think the clever thing is you, 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 you kind of put us in the position of, of the, the protagonist, but also as you drip feed us other stuff, you're you're also putting us ahead of them as well, but we don't know what we don't know how far, we we make all kinds of assumptions. Well, as, I should say yeah. I did I did as I'm watching. <laughs> I made all kinds. I should say we because I can't talk for anyone, can I? I made all kinds of assumptions about where we we're heading, and yet still, with the with your weaving of the sort of two narratives, it it still there still was a massive element of surprise and horror and terror. So. In terms of what you did there, did, did it always start off as a sort of non-linear, interactive, sort of in, interdependent stories, or was, did you write a linear one and then and then take it apart and put it back together again? Yeah, no, I mean, I I always wrote it in a non-linear way, so okay. um, I didn't pick apart those storylines and you know write them through separately and then think about where they might intercut. I actually I wrote one scene with one group of characters and then thought, well, where do I want to go next? Um, and you know, maybe that wasn't the smartest or the quickest uh, um, way to write that story. Um, but I, I think it kind of came about because I had, you know, originally imagined all these characters and wanted to tell the story of all the events that took part in that space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the story of the campers, um, you know, that might just be backstory in another film or it might be a prologue in another film um but i wanted um for us to spend a little bit more time with them you know so that they didn't feel like you know victims one two and three yeah. um when things start to happen but they feel like real people mm. um and 
so I think you know that was that was probably where the idea came from to to tell it in a non-linear fashion. And you know I was also really conscious that um, you know we've all seen uh, there's a lot of stories about people going to the woods and bad things happen. Mm. Um, a lot of horror, a lot of you know um, survival thrillers, um, and usually they are relentlessly linear. Um, you know, for a good reason. You want to be sewn into that those characters' journey, and you know, you really invest with those with those characters. But um, I think if you're telling a story in that genre, you have to try and bring something new to the table. And for me, it was that nonlinear um, structure, mm. um, at least intensely. And you know, um, so as well as trying to do something you know new with that um, genre or something a bit different with that genre. Um, you know, I also wanted to, I hoped that what it would do is, um, you know, as audiences are watching this unfold, you know, the, the tent sets up the question, where are the people? Mm. You know, and then the first part of the film is all about answering that question. And um, I had hoped that, you know, telling it in this non-linear way would make audiences lean in through that sort of first act of the film to be a bit more active in the storytelling you know, to to because they're looking at characters going, well, hang on, who's that? And how are they related to them? And when is this happening? Um, and that's the way it's kind of proved, you know, um, to have worked with audiences. Um, and But not only that, um, you get this feeling of building anxiety and tension, knowing that these threads are going to, at some point, come together um, and waiting for it, but also at the same time, um, dreading it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely concur. Is that the waiting is is some of the best dread I've experienced watching a movie in a long time. Um, I think oh, great. It, it, it was because <clears throat> you 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 give us just enough information that we're anticipating the worst, but we don't know how bad it's going to get. We don't know how bad our antagonists are. For a lot of the for a lot of the movie, and so we're just building and building and building, and we, all we're, all I remember feeling was they're still just remote. They're just remote. There's nowhere to go. And funny enough, before <laughs> before we spoke, I was I was having a phone call with with my uh, with my editor at, at Britflix, and he 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 jokingly said he said I grew up in a market street in the middle of London, and he said when I was a kid. I always got scared when I went to the countryside, um, you know, because mm. just, the, the lack of people is just scary for city folk. And, and I think it's, it, 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 yes. this is me maybe segueing into something we said before we started the podcast, is that mm. I think what you've made is a film in the tradition of, um, of, the, of the films that, that Carolyn Glover discusses in Men, Women and Chainsaws. Um, obviously, I mean, it, it may seem like high... High praise to yourself, but you know, obviously the likes of Deliverance, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. then on the exploitation front, obviously Spitting Your Grave, um, and Southern Comfort, where where the rural is take as, as she describes it, is taking its revenge on the urban, you know, for whatever reason that is yes. thematically, uh, and that's running right uh, through your movie. I isn't love, it? I love, yeah, yeah, and I love her title, um, Urbanoia. Um, to describe um, those films, and I, yeah, I, I was really conscious of that when I was um, when I was writing the film, and you know, conscious that it was this kind of mix of 
um, that urbanoia genre, which is a very American genre, but also um, taking that and kind of mixing, uh, I guess, what I would describe as an Australian Gothic um, feel to it as well. Um, and I think for the for me, those films are, you know, the kind of films that we we do here that um, find as much to fear in the empty landscape mm. um, as you know, as degenerate kind of hillbilly type, you know, characters. So um, I feel that uh, um, uh, the Killing Ground kind of mixes, um, uh, has elements of both of those, you know, streams. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, and obviously Australia has 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 its own sort of cinematic history about about what it what it shows in terms of what is the outback versus what is you know city life and. And probably one of the best films is yeah. Wake, is Waking Fright, and then there's 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 oh, lo- that's an amazing film, you know, and, and Long Weekend as well. Um, where so so you have, I mean, in Britain we don't have that dis- disconnect from, <laughs> you know, I can walk to the countryside from my house, and yet I'm seven miles from Oxford Street. You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's how that's obviously how tiny Britain yeah. is, but obviously Australia is a huge mass. Where there are large swathes yeah. of it, just like America, where people don't live, and it's it, so it's not like you do you, you're commenting on something that's outdated, are you? In terms of Australian culture, there really is a seismic difference. Despite the internet giving us all kinds of connections, information, it doesn't make the world sophisticated at the click of a finger, does it? No, and you know it just it it cannot close that remoteness. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, Australia has has this long tradition of um, films that explore white Australians' unease in their own backyard, mm. and I think that you know the landscape feels hostile um, to us because we don't know how to live there, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that you know you can see that in films um, from um, Picnic at Hanging Rock all the way through to you know Wolf Creek and beyond. Mm. Well, I was going to say you you. you... There was, while you don't have to sort of, kind of, you certainly shy away from the kind of cartoon, sort of torture porn horror of Wolf Creek. What what you do, which is mm. similar, is is that is that slow burn, of taking us to the point, or taking us to a tipping point, where where we're where we're terrified, as I said earlier. It's sort of it's a it's and that, and and I think. That was one of the things that, that, that make that makes that makes it work. And, it, and even if if you go back to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it also doesn't give you chainsaws. In fact, you don't see a chainsaw fifty five minutes in that movie. And yet, and yet, <laughs> yeah. the, and yet the film's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And equally, yours is called The Killing Ground. And you ain't killing people on f- screen for <laughs> for a while into the movie. So it's all about like it is. You, you really do use the 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 environment as the antagonist as much as anything else that's going on. Well, that's right, and I think um, you know both with um, Killing Ground and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, the title does a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you can you can have a lot of build up in a film um, that's titled that because you know uh, um, something bad is coming. <laughs> um, so, so can, can you talk about any any of uh, in terms of trying to achieve that then, and obviously being being familiar with it, and with there being a kind of rich history. What what for you? And, and given you cho- mm. your choice to do the non-linear, what yeah. what what do you remember being the kind of storytelling challenges for you, trying to bring all that together? Mm. Um, 
so I think, you know, I mean, in terms of the writing, it was a... Um, it was kind of 11 years from um, the germ of the idea till I stepped out onto set. Now, okay. obviously, I wasn't working on it full time for 11 years, but it was a it was a very long process. Um, and I think, <clears throat> uh, you know, along it, probably the biggest change in in the journey of the film as a script. You know, it was always non-linear, um, but for a long time. And it's it's impossible to discuss without um, sort of spoilers. But um, for a long time, the film didn't really have um, a third act. Okay. It ended in a way that was much more bleak, mis bleak and miserable than the film actually ends. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, my producer Joe Weatherston, bless her, um, persisted with me and that draft for some time. And we actually got some um, market interest um, in that draft. Okay. Um, but. At the end of the day, um, I came to agree that it would have been a deeply unsatisfying um, film for an audience. Um, that uh, Not that they needed complete resolution, um, but that they needed more and that there was a way to continue to up the stakes um, and continue to explore the themes that the film was dealing with um, in a way that you know was interesting and and gave the audience some satisfaction. So in, in, in the writing and the storytelling sense, that was a, an interesting um, challenge um, uh, along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, the shoot, it's, the shoot itself, you know, was, was really its own survival, survival story. Really? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, when it came to, um, shooting and finding a location, we were looking for the middle of nowhere as close to Sydney as possible. Okay. Um, so there was, a, there was a summer that my producer and I, we looked at Google Earth and we would be looking, um, you know, uh, at national parks and um, essentially for a road by a river. Okay. And I realised, you know, going into it, I thought, well, this is, you know, is going to be quite easy to find, really. You know, how hard is it? But actually, when I got into it, I realised that I actually had very specific requirements for that geography. So that the space where the tents are set up could not be so large that, you know, there's a tent and it's 100 metres away. Mm. You know, that it's not present. But it couldn't be so small that you would get there and go, well, you know, they've got the spot. You know, we have to turn around and leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had to be of a certain size. I wanted it to be sort of you know, by a river so that it was in a valley um, and that the um, space would start to feel claustrophobic but beautiful. Mm. Um, and I very specifically wanted um, the spot where they park, end up parking their cars to be separated from the tents so that one you couldn't see one from the other, um, but that they were connected by a path, you know, for obvious reasons for shots in the, in the film. Yeah. Um, and that was actually that was that was actually quite difficult to find. Um, and you know, we went down all sorts of you know remote, crazy sort of national park roads. You know, we'd be driving in, you know, um, uh, just bumping around like crazy, going, I don't think the film trucks are going to get down this road. Um, or you'd drive for you know an hour, and then you'd find a fire gate that you couldn't see in the satellite photo. <laughs> so. Uh, um, but we ended up finding, 
Um, <laughs> you know, I went to some great national parks that you know I'll take my family back to, um, but um, they were they just weren't right for the shoot. And um, we ended up finding a place. We shot on a place called Simo's Beach, uh, which is a nature reserve on the Macquarie River. Right. Uh, sorry, on the George's River in um, Macquarie Fields, which is a, a, a suburb on the edge of Sydney. And, um, you know, my wife found this location. She saw the, um, the picture, I think, and it turned out to be pretty well perfect because, uh, you know, it has this beautiful beach. Um, just out of sight, there was a path, a concrete path that led down onto the beach. There was um, steel stairs, so it was very easy access. You know, over the hill there were facilities. There was a toilet block. There was easy parking. You know, it was only a few hundred metres away from houses, really. Mm. Um, so, and it was not so remote, uh, and it, it, but it has that feel. Um, there were a few drawbacks um, on the other side of the river. Uh, in that bushland was actually the Holdsworthy Army Base. So it's one of Australia's largest army bases where they conducted live fire exercises while we were shooting the film. Really? So, yeah, so we would be shooting and they would be shooting with tanks and helicopters and machine guns. And, um, you know, we had a schedule for yeah. when this was a rough schedule. Well, the Army's never going to tell you when they're playing war games. Um, so we had a kind of rough schedule about where this was, when this was going to happen, but yeah, there was, the schedule was so tight, there was kind of nothing we could do about it. Um, Your sound guy must have, loved, hard, must have loved that. We, yeah, we were also triangulated between <laughs> um, three airports, so you know, I, I owe my sound guy, Francis Byrne, big time. Um, he did a great job, and I'm, I'm sure there's some, some gunfire that we've hidden under bird noise in there um, somewhere. I certainly, um, I certainly didn't, we, I didn't hear any. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, but we, um, <laughs> I think the hardest thing about the shoot, though, was it's, you know, it's all outdoors, and we shot in sort of September, October, the driest, supposedly the driest months of the year, and um, we were slammed um, with rain. So, you know, we effectively lost three shooting days to rain, and it, it was just so incredibly, um, you know, disruptive. Um, it almost feel, I, uh, I, I, I kind of hear this kind of story a lot from filmmakers. It's almost like I feel like if you want to end a drought, send a film crew there to to, to shoot oh, in, no, dry, it's, it's, in dry weather, and yeah, you'll guarantee yeah, rain. That's that's so true. The only upside to the rain was yeah. that we <laughs> we had there was a local arsonist who was lighting fires in oh, the good, um, reserve where we were. So the second day, I, I, we're walking to the location. And I see all this burnt bush along the side of the road. And I said to my producer, Joe, um, what's going on here? And she said, oh, that's apparently that's a local arsonist. I talked to the fire guys and, you know, they happen so often, you know, they don't even send the, the police out anymore. Um, and so, <laughs> so I was a bit suspicious, like, is this guy just following us around lighting fires? And then um, later we shot... Um, one of the climactic scenes of the film and we were there all day shooting it and then at the end of the day you know I, I needed to come back the next day to do some pickups we came back that patch of bush was just burnt to the ground mm. um so it's you know this guy was obviously following us around um and you know i was lucky that i was i was shooting close up so i could you know point the camera 
anywhere really mm. um, and it was fine but um, I think the only thing that saved the entire place from going up and there was a much bigger fire um, I think a few weeks after um, we had shot there it was just the fact that it was raining all the time <laughs> wow it's just I, I, you know if yeah. you, I don't know whether, whether that being told by the local police he's our local arsonist is kind of a normal description I just can't <laughs> in, that, that just sounds like that sounds like dark comedy <laughs> yeah I know I know um, it, it felt like that at the time <laughs> well I, I just just as an aside i had i had the op the same but opposite experience where we had a completely dry summer and i was trying to shoot a short movie with some with some friends of mine and we we were yep. going to go to a beach because that was the like most anonymous place we could have and then locally by us there was a lake and there was a bushfire which left this kind of almost like prometheus like landscape just burnt trees and gray floor. yeah wow and we were like well we found our our dark oasis it was like and that was like a mile from my house so that was kind of a good fortune on the uh, bird trees but anyway <clears throat> one of the one of the things that struck me about some of your choices when you were shooting the movie and I'll, I'll try and be as vague as possible but hopefully you'll understand so i don't spoil it yeah yeah is that is that when we get to the points in the movie where um it could have tipped into exploitation cinema you yep. you hold back. There's a, there's a shot where, um, yeah. where where someone's gaffer tape's leaning against the tree, and you you just and there's other people in the foreground, but you you choose to hold an image which is dare I say almost sympathetic to what's happening or what's happened should I say, and you focus on the antagonists rather than the victims in terms of what's happening in this moment. And I thought that was a a really a really yeah. really new. It felt new anyway. I mean, I'm sure it's not, it's not brand new, like, but it felt like a really new way to look at it because, like, because I didn't need all the gory details at all. Um, but I, but I, it was no less horrifying or shocking to get there. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I mean, yes, it's a violent film, but for me, it's also a film about violence, um, mm. and you know what violence does and you know i feel strongly that um that violence one of the um one aspect of violence is that it um uh it it robs its victims of choice so in the face of violence what can you do you mm. can run you can fight uh, um, or you can freeze um there there is nothing else you can do um and these are all really animal instinctive responses mm. so as a victim of violence you know it kind of reduces you to this animal like response um and taking away the thing that makes us human choice um so i tried to show that um not only within scenes um uh, but also, you know, um, across the film as a whole, so that, you know, Sam and Ian as characters, their choices become more and more and more um, limited as the film goes on. Yeah. Um, heightening tension. Um, so that was one of the things I'm, I was trying to do from a, uh, a storytelling point of view um, in the way that violence is used. But in terms of, you know, how it's depicted, um, you know, the film as a whole one of the things that i was trying to do is to make it feel very real 
Mm. Um, and, you know, so that right from the, the, the characters feel real, I feel like um, real people, the villains aren't, you know, cartoonish monsters. Um, uh, they're people that you might meet in a pub um, and not really know who they were. Uh, um, but also, you know, in terms of how the, you know, I treat the film and how the, and one of those, one of that aspects is how we filmed the violence. So <clears throat> if the violence is going to feel real, then it's going to have certain impact. Yeah. Um, and so that meant that I wanted to be careful about the level of detail I was going to show so that, um, you know, the worst violence actually happens off screen and is implied. Yeah. Um, but we have a fair idea of what what's happened, um, you know, and it's about maybe hanging back and holding longer. Um, and so that gives you not only... A, um, a, a little bit of distance, but conversely, makes it feel more real um, because you just let you give the audience time to um, to take it all in at their own speed. Um, so I think that's why um, you know shots like that are so powerful. Um, you know, my my um, background is that I um, used to be a member of the Australian Film Classification Board, which is the equivalent Australian equivalent of the BBFC. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I've had a kind of long professional interest in, you know, how we watch violence. Yeah. Um, um, which I'm sure, you know, um, has come to, you know, has filtered through to me as a filmmaker. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've written papers on, on the video nasty phenomena in Britain. Um, it's, yeah. it's, uh, and, and, and it's, it's why I think um, Caroline Glover's text is, is an important one, because the, um, <clears throat> because, the, you know, I think, I think, you know, if Hitchcock can talk about what senses the male gaze, then it is there, it's hard to avoid. And if you can show, a, if you can portray a, a series, a, a series of, Film, film, sorry, a series of scenes which are going to involve some violence because, you know, like you say, there's a lot loaded into the name Killing Ground, but not mm. have to show us directly all of the killings because if you if you let us if you let us look at the aftermath, we have to fill in the blanks and work it out ourselves, which actually is the is is arguably the better language of cinema, isn't it? Where you know, if you, I mean, it's basically like an exaggeration, but you know, that particular shot we're talking, the, the particular moment we're talking about. Is is almost like Goyeresque, you know, in the way that it's it's macabre what we're looking at, but we're not seeing direct violence. We're just looking at what violence has done. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, the audience can fill in the blanks in a way that's much worse than I would ever want to show them. Mm. Um, you know, for one, and also two, you're right in a in a in a painterly sense, we looked at um, Australian impressionists like uh, Tom Roberts and um, Fred McCubbin, um, and his idyllic, um, particularly McCubbin's um, idyllic pictures of um, settlers, white settlers in the bush, mm. um, when we were constructing some of those shots, and oh, really? you know, very, very, very consciously referenced that, um, so that yes, it is, it is. Beautiful and awful at the same time, but I've never, I mean, I must admit, it's a long time since I've seen something that 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 horrify me while at the same time show sympathy for the victims. Yeah, and and um, and that's important too. You know, um, uh, I mean, 
horror and thriller are really all about point of view. Mm. Um, you know, you view as a filmmaker, um, but also, you know, whose point of view are you aligned with um, at any moment through that story? Um, and having, a, you know, a nonlinear opening where you're um, you're seeing not only you're seeing the victims as as characters, as people, um, you're seeing the villains or the antagonists as people too. Um, I think all that, uh, that puts the audience in an interesting place. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, a, and a slightly unusual place um, for a lot of these films. You have been listening to... The Brinflings Fright Fest Preview Podcast. That is the end of part one of two of my conversation with Damien Power about The Killing Ground. Part two, which is available very soon, if not available already, depending on when you listen to this podcast, uh, will cover spoiler territory, so we can really get into the uh, the crux of what's going on in Killing Ground. So look out for part two, where you got this part one from. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.